have any per se one text. I'm going to be covering a lot of different verses today. So, so, so take notes, write them down. Let's see what God's word has to say for us today. Here's one answer to the question of suffering, and it's this. Because God sovereignly and willfully causes or sovereignly and willfully allows suffering. Now, that's only one answer, so please don't shoot the daggers too fast at me, all right? Because I know that's a hard pill to swallow, to hear that God sovereignly and willfully causes or sovereignly and willfully allows suffering. That's hard to hear. But here's the thing. We need to understand the Bible shows us a lot about this. The Bible reveals that there are multiple times where God causes suffering and he willfully allows suffering. And here's the thing we need to understand about this. God is not bound to give us an answer to why. Okay? He is, he is not obligated in any manner to give you and me an answer. It's kind of like a parent. Okay? If you are a parent and you have, well, let's just take Jr. and Amanda, okay? You guys make a decision. You've got three. How old is Huxley? He's four. Do you guys have any obligation to give Huxley, your four-year-old, any decision you make as a parent? Jr.'s like, are you kidding me? Do you, do you have any obligation to sit down with your children and go, hey, here's why we are selling our house? No. If you want to sell your house and move, you have that right, right? And you have no reason to tell your kids or give them an explanation. It's just how it is. I'm the parent, and you're the child. And here's the reality. God is God, and we are not. I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but the Bible makes it very clear on the sovereignty and the absoluteness of God. Psalm, chapter, Psalm 115 verse 3 says this. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. I could just stop right there. And go no further. God is in the heaven. And he does all that he pleases. Job chapter 41 verse 11 says. It says God said. And he's, he's speaking to Job here. And he says. Who is given to me that I should repay him? What is ever, whatever is under the whole heaven is mine. Psalm chapter 50 verse 12, it says, God says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that it contains. Everything under heaven is whose? So raise your hand. How much do you really own under heaven? Psalm 50 says, everything in the earth God says is whose? His. Everything. Settled issue. There's nothing under heaven. There's nothing on this earth that belongs to you and me. It is all God's. And God can do whatever he pleases with his property. He is the owner. And these verses show and reveal to us that God is absolutely 100% sovereignly in control, even with suffering. The Bible makes it very clear 
that there are multiple times where God sovereignly and willfully causes suffering or he sovereignly and willfully allows suffering. In the book of Genesis, God caused the flood. He brought it by his sovereign hand. He caused the flood. In the book of Exodus, he caused and he brought the plagues upon Egypt. In Numbers chapter 21, when Moses was trying to lead the people of Israel, the the, the Israelites began to grumble against Moses and God. And it says that God sent serpents into the camp and they bit the people and many people died. God sent it. His sovereign, willful cause. He sent it. The ultimate suffering that God brought is upon Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53 verse 10. It says that the Lord willed for Jesus to suffer. To be crushed. God willed it. He, he, you hear that? God willed it to happen. He caused it. The book of Revelation describes to us a seven-year period that's going to be the tribulation. And this is the time that God will bring suffering upon this earth for seven years. He will cause it sovereignly and willfully. But we also know that there are times where God doesn't sovereignly and willfully just cause it, but he does allow it. That's the book of Job. The entire book is all about God allowing the devil to turn against Job and bring suffering into his life. God allowed it. Again, he he wasn't bound to give Job an answer. In fact, when you get to the end of the whole argument between Job and his friends, and they they keep kind of going back and forth, finally in the end, God's like, okay, I've had enough, I've heard enough. Job, you tell me, where were you when I laid the foundations of these earth? Where were you when I created this? Where were you when I created this? What were you doing when I did this? What were you doing? Tell me, Job. And Job's like, I I don't know. Then I don't owe you an answer. Because I am God. And you are not. That's what we need to understand. That God, at times, he will willfully and sovereignly cause suffering. And he will sovereignly and willfully allow suffering again you may be like going but Jim that just makes no sense why would God do that why would this God cause suffering or why would he allow suffering well there's really three reasons why he does it one he will cause or or, or allow suffering because it's an act of judgment the flood was an act of judgment the plagues upon Egypt was an act of judgment. Pharaoh refused to release God's people. And God said, okay, fine. You want to play hardball? Here we go. The tribulation period is an act of judgment. When Jesus died on that cross and God willed him to suffer, it was an act of judgment because Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself because of sin. So there are times that God acts and he causes suffering as an act of judgment. 
But there's a second time that God will cause or allow suffering. And it is to turn people from their sin. The serpents that I mentioned, that was because the people of Israel were grumbling against God and against Moses. That was their sin. And they weren't stopping. And so God's like, okay, I'm going to send these serpents into the camp. And the serpents bit the people and many people died. And it says in that moment that the people, that they figured it out, this is bad. We sinned. And they came to Moses and they said, Moses, we have sinned. Pray for us. And they turned their hearts back to God. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you know someone that life just bottoms out. And everything in life seems to be going sideways and upside down. You are going through a time of suffering. Let me ask you, has it ever turned your heart back to God? Have you ever seen someone start walking away and drifting from God and God allows the suffering to come into their life and it wakes them up in a heartbeat? And they say, I, 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 I got to get back to God. You see, that's what God will use suffering for, to awaken us again to our sin, to our waywardness, to get us back to him. But the third reason that God will allow suffering into our life is as 1 Peter chapter 1 says, it is a testing of the genuineness of our faith. You see, there's a lot of people who sit in churches, a lot of people who will profess, oh, I'm a Christian, but the moment suffering comes into their life, how many people quit on God? How many people are like, well, if that's the way God is, thank you, but I don't want any of this. They stop coming to church. They stop serving. They stop doing, they just, they like, they just drop off the radar with the things of God because they can't handle the suffering. They're like, if that's the way God is, I want no part of that. You see, there are times where we need to understand that when there is suffering going on and pain and hurt, God's sovereign hand and willful hand is moving. And he's sovereignly and willfully, he may be causing it or he may be allowing it for a purpose and for a reason. And so we need to understand that when there is suffering, God is sovereignly and willfully causing it or allowing it. But here's the second thing about suffering, and it's this. Why there's so much suffering? The second reason, because of the freedom to choose. Because of the freedom to choose. Now, if you would turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. And let's see this from the very beginning. Start with verse 7. So God's created everything. And then in verse 7, it says, And the Lord, the Lord God formed man out of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. And the Lord God planted a garden in, the e a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made a spring, made to spring up every tree in the, in, that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. There was the tree of life that was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now jump down to verse 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. 
For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. God has given Adam and Eve a choice. You see, here's the thing. When God created Adam and then he creates Eve, he created them perfectly. He created them in a perfect environment. He created them with a perfect relationship with God. They had a perfect relationship with each other. And there was one more thing they had. Perfect freedom to choose. God commanded him not to eat of it, but he still had the freedom to say yes or no. Adam had the, he, God did not make Adam a robot. He made Adam a man with a free will, with a freedom to choose. He made Adam, and he says, Adam, here's a tree. Leave it alone. Do not eat of it. And Adam at that moment had a decision to make. I can either listen to God, follow God, obey God, or not. I do my own thing. And I make my own choice. You know, this call to choose is also found in the book of Joshua. Chapter 24, verse 14. Joshua is, it's near the end of Joshua's life. He's rallying the troops, if you want to say it. He's, he's kind of encouraging the, the people of Israel. And here's what he says. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors worshiped, who worshiped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Do you see the freedom? Joshua is up there declaring, hey, I'm, I'm going to tell you the best route. Follow God. Choose his word. Choose his ways. That's the best way to go. But if you don't want to do that, then choose you this day. Who do you want to serve? What other God do you want to follow? What other way do you want to follow? What other path do you want to walk? What other choices do you want to make? The, the call was there. Follow God or not. Choose God or not. Obey God or not. Listen to God or not. You get to choose. Which way do you want to go? And that call, that, that revel, that it's like revel, revel, revelry, waking people up in the morning. That, that, that trumpet has been blasted for centuries, for generation after generation after generation. God has been making the same call. Here's your choice. Follow me or not. Listen to me or not. Obey me or not. Follow my word or not. You see, God has given man freedom. He has given humanity the freedom to choose. But here's the other part. He gives us the freedom to choose but we also have to live with the consequences, good or bad. In the book of Galatians, chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, Paul writes, he says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. 
a man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Now notice he says that he uses the word sow. He, he, he's, he's using a metaphor of planting for our lives. The sowing he's talking about is not sowing some kind of seed. He's talking about the life you live is like sowing. Okay, The actions you take, the, the things we do is like sowing seed. He says, so here, he, and, and, and you notice the choice he gives. He goes, you've got a path. You can either choose to live your life and sow seed to God, or you can choose and sow seed away from God. He's like, those are the two paths. And he says, if you choose to, to sow for God, that's a good thing because you're going to reap spiritual fruit from that. You're going to reap good things from that. How many of you know you cannot live for God and see and mess your life up really bad. Okay, if you're really, think about that, just really think about that. If you are truly following God, obeying God in everything, are you making any bad decisions? No. Because you're doing everything God's telling you to do. But Paul also says, listen, if you sow to the flesh, if you live for self, if you want to live apart from God, if you want to live on your own terms, you want to live in your own way, you want to make your own decisions, he, he's very clear on this. He goes, you will reap destruction. So much, I believe, in our world today, we want to blame God for everything. And I think God gets a lot of blame for things that he's not even doing. The reality is humanity is making choices apart from God. God for centuries has been trying to sway the heart of humanity. When, when humanity was a complete mess in the very beginning, he thought, okay, you know what? I'm going to destroy it all, but I'm going to save a remnant, Noah and his family. And, and he started over with Noah and his family thinking, we can get this right, only it still got messed up. And through the centuries, God got to the point where he's like, okay, you know what, man, humanity's making a mess of everything. I'm going to send my son. I'm sure they'll listen to him. I'm sure they'll follow him. Only what? We didn't. God sends us his word, the truth of his word, and what do we do? Ignore it. He even sends the Holy Spirit, and in the book of John chapter 16, it says the Holy Spirit has really one job, to convict the world of sin and righteousness, to convict us. And so the Holy Spirit is trying to stir humanity to go, make good choices, make godly choices, and what does humanity do? We ignore it. See, here's the reality. God, and this is, this is how much God loves humanity. He could have, I mean, you know, he could have made us as robots. He could have made us to do everything precisely as he wanted him. What he wanted, we would do. But he wants a creation that will love him freely. He wants a creation that will worship him freely. 
He wants a creation that by their choice will follow him. He didn't want people just going, oh, 10.30 on Sunday, time to go worship. Do, 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 do. Worship, worship, worship. No, he wants you to, how many of you know you made a decision this morning? The sad, the reality is God gives us the freedom to do good. He, he gives us the freedom to bring good things into our lives. He, he gives us the freedom to do good to other people. He, he, he gives us the freedom to be nice to people and to be kind to people. He gives us the freedom to, to enjoy life and to have fun. I'm glad that God doesn't restrict that. I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that, hey, you know what? I want to take a vacation down to the beach. God's like, nope, I don't want you to do that. Here's what I want. He gives me the freedom to go enjoy a beach. He gives me the freedom to, you know, who do I want to marry? He gives me the, the freedom of going, hey, where, 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 where would I like to work now? He gives us the freedom to, to bless people. He gives us that freedom, and good things come from that, right? But guess what he also gives us the freedom to do? Absolute evil. Think about that for a moment. I mean, we're all, we get all fired up about the, the good that God lets us to do, do right? There, no one complains. Do you ever complain that, wow, wow, God, why do you give me freedom to do good, do good things? Why? I really don't like that. Nobody complains about that. But when you flip the coin over, and the reality is God also gives us the freedom to do bad, to make bad choices, to do wrong, to bring evil into the world, to hurt people, to wound people, to hurt self. He gives us that freedom. And so when, when a person makes the choice to, to drink at a bar and then get in a car and drive when they're drunk and they kill someone in another car. That's not to say that God's like, well, I'm going to orchestrate that thing and kill another person. No, somebody had the freedom to drink and drive. And they reap the consequence of that. When a spouse makes a decision to go, I'm going to have an affair and leave my family. And the family unit is destroyed. That's not because God was like, well, I didn't want that family anymore. I think I'll destroy it. No, it's because a spouse made a decision. They made a choice. They had the freedom to have an affair and to destroy a family. That's the freedom. And when we see the horrible things that happen in our world, the evil so many times we want to blame God. Where's God? Why did God not intervene? Why is he not acting? It's because he's given us freedom. Absolute freedom. Freedom is a good thing. Freedom does wonderful things. But freedom also brings destruction. If freedom brings destruction because when we choose not to follow God, when we choose to disobey God, when we choose, we see, you know, the whole world has the Bible. They have God's word. But how many people have rejected the truth of God's word? Why is there so much suffering? Because God 
sovereignly and willfully causes or allows suffering. There's suffering because of the freedom to choose. And then thirdly, here's the third reason why there is suffering. Because of sin and the curse. I call these the deadly twins. The sin or sin and the curse. Chapter 2 of Genesis, we saw that God gives Adam a choice. He gives him the freedom. God creates humanity with freedom. The freedom to choose. Choose to follow, choose to disobey. Choose God, choose not God. Whatever. That's our choice. Well, in chapter 3, we see the freedom being played out. When Adam and Eve are tempted by the enemy, by Satan, and, and, and Satan's trying to convince them that God... You know, God's just going to get bent out of shape if you eat of that fruit. He doesn't want you to know the truth. He's afraid you're going to be too much. And they take the fruit and they eat of it. They make a choice. They chose not to follow God. They chose to disobey God. And the moment they chose, made that, that decision, in their freedom, they chose to disobey God. Sin, in a matter of moments, came into the world came into their life, came into the garden, came into everything that God had created, sin came in. In the book of Romans, chapter 5, verse 12, Paul writes and he says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. See, Paul just makes it simple. He's like, he's like, death and sin came into the world because of one man's disobedience. And from that act of, 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 of disobedience, sin became a cancer. And it spread. And it, it, it has brought death to all people. And the reality is all people are sinners. We can't stop it. Just as a cancer can spread in our body, sin spreads in humanity. And death is a result of that. The, 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 the consequences of our sin is disastrous. In Romans chapter 1, I would encourage you to, this week even just to read the entire chapter of, of chapter 1 of Romans. Paul is trying to show... That, that there is a God, but yet humanity keeps rejecting him. He, he's like, there's evidence of God, but people are like, there is no God. Let's love the creation instead. Paul just keeps saying, there is a God. And, and humanity's like, no, I want to do my own thing. There is a God. Well, I want to choose my own way. And Paul keeps trying to, and here's the thing. It keeps saying that God gave humanity up to their passions. It's, Paul's like, we keep making bad choices, and so God's finally like, okay, I'm going to let you live your choices. In Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 32, the, Paul writes this. He says, since they did not see, to, see fit to acknowledge God, okay, meaning God's been trying to get our attention. He's been trying to get humanity's attention since day one, and we choose not to acknowledge it. We choose, ah, yeah, there may be a God, but I don't want God. I want to do my own thing. So we choose not to acknowledge that, that God's there. And he says, God gave them up to the debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And here it is. 
they were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. They, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, here it is, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who do it. You see, Paul's like, we know the truth. We know the difference between right and wrong. But what does humanity do? We reject God. We keep rejecting the truth of God's word. And we choose to live for the flesh. We choose to live for self. We choose to live for the world. And Paul gave a huge description of what it looks like. He's like, man, here's what it looks like. People are haughty. People are evil. People make up ways to be evil. People are malicious. They malign one another. They hate God. They disobey their parents. Tell me. If, does that, that, that describes humanity to a key, right down to the very letter of what Paul's writing. Why? Because we make a choice. We make a choice to say, I don't want to do it God's way, and we choose to sin. And when humanity chooses to sin versus following God, when we choose to sin, here's what happens. We choose to suffer. And some of that suffering is what we saw this past week. People refusing to say yes to God and we reject God. And we see the ugliness of what that looks like in Texas. And in other places, evil dictators going to war, evil dictators stealing food and money and starving their people. We see the, the horribleness of what sin does and the effects of it. But like I said, sin is only one thing. The other deadly, ugly twin is the curse. There is sin because of the disobedience, and right on the heels of that is the curse. In Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, God now, he curses the serpent. He tells Eve, okay, because of your sin, here's what's going to happen to you. And now he gives the consequences to Adam. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, God said to Adam, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you. He's basically saying, you didn't listen to me, Adam. You didn't follow what I told you to do. You made a decision and you listened to your wife and you followed a different route. And because you did that, we have a major problem. He says, because you have done that, here's what he says. You shall not eat of it. Or he says, he says you, you chose not to follow my words, which I said, you shall not eat of this tree. And here it is. Cursed is the ground because of you. 
in pain. You shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. God is describing the immediate context of what is, what's going to happen to Adam at this point. He's like, Adam, because of your sin, the ground's cursed now. And in pain, you're going to labor. And thorns and thistles are going to be popping up. And this is going to be your life, Adam. Now, here's the thing. The context is immediate for Adam. But the broader picture is for all of humanity. When he says, oh... Um, you will, all the days of your life, you will eat the pain of this. It, it's kind of like what we would say, um, you've made your bed, now you got to lie in it. When he says the pain that you're going to eat of it, think about that for a second. Because the world is cursed, we are eating the pain of that all the time. That's the suffering we go through. We're eating the pain of the curse. And then when he, dis- it's weird, he's like, thorns and thistles are going to come. Why would God, th- I'm like, Thorns and thistles, why would that come into context? Well, think about this. How many of you grow thorns and thistles because they just look pretty? Oh, I love that, man. I got my rose bed here, and look at my thorns and thistle bed. Aren't those attractive? No. Nobody, in fact, if you see a thorn or a thistle in your, in, like a thistle in your yard, what are you doing? You're digging that sucker up because it's, number one, they're ugly. But number two, they're what? Painful. You step on a thistle in your yard with your bare feet, you're in a lot of pain. You grab a rose bush and that thorn goes into your hand, you're in a lot of pain. So I look at thorns and thistles almost like metaphorically as the the pain and the ugliness it brings into this world. Suffering is ugly. Suffering is painful. But yet, because of the curse, we are eating of it. The world is cursed. In fact, the Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 8. He says, all creation was subjected to God's curse, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage of corruption. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's corrupted. It's decaying. It's broken. And he says it's like it's been groaning as in childbirth, like labor pains, okay? So when we see sin and, and, and or sickness and disease, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, floods, these kind of things, and they're devastating places. The earth is groaning. They are simply an effect of the curse. See, I, I do know, I, I do, you know, I, I believe that, yes, God can cause the tornadoes and stuff. But, but I also, I, I sit there and go, you can't tell me that God is going, well, I need to destroy a town, so I'm just going to drop a tornado right on it. I don't, I don't, I don't think that fits in the, 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 the heart and, and the compassion and the love of God. But I do believe a tornado, a hurricane, a tsunami, all these things are just an effect, an outflow of the curse. We live in a cursed world. And God spoke it into existence with Adam. He said, Adam, I'm telling you, because of you, now this place is cursed. And when God spoke it, it has just come to fruition. So when we see tornadoes devastating things, curse, hurricanes wiping out cities, 
curse. When you see sickness and disease, curse. That's where we live, folks. That's what we live in. We live in a world full of sin and a world that is broken and decaying because of a curse. Now, let me just close with this. Because that's heavy, isn't it? I'm glad I, I don't want to just say amen and go, now go out and fend for yourself. Let's get a message of hope here. The reality is suffering, pain, tragedy, hurt, it's on this side of heaven. And you're going to deal with it every single day. We're going to see it on the news. We're going to experience it in our life. Suffering is real. But what do we do on this side of heaven? How do we endure the suffering that we cannot escape? Two things. Here's the first one. Every day, entrust all you have and all you are into the hands of God. Every day, entrust all you have and all you are in the hands of God. Psalm chapter 46, verse 1 says, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The psalmist is just speaking metaphorically. When life is falling apart, when everything is just broken and hurtful and, 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 and you're, you're like, why is this happening? He goes, here's what you need to do. Get your focus refocused. You can't be looking at the mountains tr falling in the, in, into the ocean. You can't look at the waters roaring. You can't look at the hurt. You can't look at the pain all the time. You can't focus on the suffering. You've got to shift your focus onto the one who is your help, who is your refuge, who is your strength, and that is God alone. Because he is the only one in control. And that's why every day you and I have got to remember, we got to go back to, hey, everything I have is God's anyway. And so I got every day, I got to be like, God, here it is. It's yours. I commit all I am, all I have, everything about me, God, into your hands. And I'm going to trust that you're going to take care of me. And God, when I do go through suffering, when I go through something that is so unbelievably hard, God, when I go through a tragedy, when I go through something that, God, I, I don't understand why, when it is so difficult, God, I will trust you. Guys, I'm telling you, some of you are going through it right now. Can you trust God? Can you every day entrust your life, your kids, your family, your home, your job, your church, everything about your life? Can you entrust it into the sovereign hand of God? You got to begin there. And then secondly, here's the second thing, how to endure suffering. Every day, you've got to remember this is not my permanent home. Every day, remember this is not my permanent home. In Revelation chapter 21, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the earth has passed away. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for, for the former things have passed away. Listen, on this side of heaven, we're not heaven, we're not home. Can I tell you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the only hell you experience. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the only pain you will experience. As a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the only suffering that you will go through. All the pain that you have endured from the time you were born until the time you die, this is it. Because when this life is over, you are going on to bigger and better. This is not your home. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are an alien. As the book of James says, you are just a mist. This is your life. That is your life right now. And I know you're going through it. Some of you are going through health concerns. Some of you have had loved ones die. Some of, some of you have financial problems. Some of you have lost a lot. And you, you feel the weight of that. It is real. Suffering is very real. It's not going away. And I'm not trying to make it less or lighter. I'm trying to say, I'm telling you, if you can focus on who God is and remember, this is not my home. And if I'm here for 70, 80, 90 years, however many, it pales in comparison to the eternal weight of glory that is coming. That's my focus. Because this is not it. And if you can get that, if you can lift, as, as the psalmist says, I can lift my eyes onto this hill. I can lift my eyes onto this mountain that is before me. I will lift my eyes onto it and I will say, my help comes from the maker of heaven and earth. And I know this mountain, and it may be in my life for a long time or all my life, but one day it's coming down because Jesus Christ is coming back. And I will be with him for all eternity. And there will be no more crying. There will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. There will be no more death. There will be no more curse. There will be no more sin because the old things have gone and the new has come. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, that's what you have to look for. And today I want to encourage you, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, right now you're facing the only heaven that you will ever see. Don't go through life suffering on your own. God wants to be on your side, but the way you've got to get God more into your life is you've got to have Christ in your life. And if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, I would encourage you to come to that place where you put your faith in him alone. Confess your sin. I'm a sinner. Know that your sin will separate you from God for not just now, but all eternity. And ask Jesus, who died on that Christ for your sin, come into my life and save me. Because he wants to do that. That's why he came. That's why we have the word to tell us these things. So if you've been rejecting that truth and walking your own way, it's time to do what God says. Listen to his word. Come to accept Christ and follow him. Amen. Why don't we all stand? Let's get ready to close. Let me just pray for us. Father, we just want to humbly bow before you. And we know, Father, on this side of heaven, suffering is real. And it comes in so many forms and fashions, and it comes in so many different ways. But, Father, I just pray that as 
we go through suffering and we have those questions. Help us to know who you are. Help us see the real reasons why we suffer. And help us to keep our eyes on you. Help us to know that Jesus, this home, this place right here is not our home. We're going to be with you one day for all eternity. And this old cursed world is going to be put, it's going to be put away. It's going to be destroyed. It's going to be done. And you're going to create a new heaven and a new earth. And we will be with you forever. And Father, I would just pray that if there would be anyone here today that doesn't know Jesus as their Savior, that Lord, even after this service, they would just come up to me and say, please help me come to know Christ. And so, Father, we just... Lord, I just want to take a few moments even just to pray for all those families down in Texas who lost the loved ones. Lord, I just pray for their peace and their comfort during this time and help them to, Lord, to come to see you through this very difficult and challenging and horrible time. And God, I just pray that you would just watch over all of us. And Lord, I just pray that we could just keep our eyes on you. We just praise you, Father, and just thank you in Jesus' name.